number of you. I've heard it sung so many times that I can't count. Especially back when I was a young boy in the United Methodist Church. The question to consider is this. Do we really want that old time religion? I'm sure there are various ideas and thoughts about what that means and opinions about whether or not we want that old time religion or whether or not we don't want that old time religion. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about some of that. A few years ago, you may remember Oldsmobile uh, was kind of struggling and they were trying to revamp their image. And they came out with this commercial on television that showed the new Cutlass Supreme design. First of all, surely we all remember, I think, by looking at the color of most of our hair. Probably all of us do remember Oldsmobile, right? <laughs> and the, the Cutlass Supreme was flying through these back roads and dust was flying and all that kind of stuff. And the tagline to that commercial was, this isn't your father's Oldsmobile. Do you remember that, that commercial? Yeah, I remember that commercial as well. I'm not sure how effective that advertising campaign was because uh, General Motors has uh, ended up discontinuing the entire Oldsmobile name <laughs> So, they're not making them at all anymore. It's been a few years since they have. Which may be a good principle to grasp. But sometimes the old things may very well need to go away so that the new can be ushered in. <clears throat> when I read the gospel lesson for today about the story of Nicodemus, which is probably familiar, I would say, to the majority of us, especially uh, those of us who have been in church for many years, that story got me to thinking. I thought about when I was an ordained minister in the Assemblies of God and how I used that story in nearly every funeral I preached. That was always the one of my go-to uh, passage, telling people that, uh, that are likely pondering their own demise and, and so forth, their own eternal <clears throat> destiny, that they must be born again. Back in my former denomination, we gave altar calls to get people to accept Christ. Sometimes the methods we used included guilt, shame, which I never really recommend doing anymore. I, I don't think that's the way to motivate anybody. I don't know that we did it in a malicious way. I think we were just so intent on wanting people to uh, respond to that altar appeal that we would pull out all the stops and whatever it took to get someone to respond is, is kind of what we did. Back then, if I would have just read the story through about Nicodemus a with a different set of spiritual eyes, rather than using my old-time religion eyes, I wonder if I would have found something totally different. Because as I read the story of Nicodemus now, I see in that story a wonderful message of God's redeeming love. Now you may be thinking, well, of course it's a message of God's love and redemption. It, it is John 3.16, after all. But I wonder how many of us have embraced our faith as a loving expression of God's love. Or if we have continued to live out our old-time religion as lists of do's and don'ts, Oftentimes in fear of making God mad, failing God, or not being perfect or good enough. I suspect many of us in this room have church background experiences where guilt, shame, and fear were used 
We were continually wondering if we were behaving correctly or if God was pleased with us or if we were somehow flawed in some way. I remember going for communion. Every time I went to communion back in those days, I went in fear. And every time I went to communion, I played one, prayed one of those blanket prayers. You know what those blanket prayers are? God, please forgive me for everything I've absolutely <laughs> Because I was told that if, that if there was ever any sin in my life and I took communion in an unworthy manner, that I could be struck dead or be struck sick or become ill about something. So I would pray that blanket prayer out of fear and trembling that somehow if there was something I missed, that I would be struck with this. Not a good way to live. Not a good way to approach the table of God, in my humble opinion. When I think about that now, I almost have to laugh quite truthfully. How could I possibly thought that a God who loved all humanity to such a degree that the very Son of God was given to us, that we might have a better life, was also some tyrant watching and waiting for me to mess up? Just hoping I would, so that I could be punished struck ill. Thankfully, I believe I've been enlightened since I found MCC so many years ago. Since I've been able to open my mind and my eyes to the love and grace of God rather than viewing God as a tyrant waiting for me to make a mistake. Our faith, our relationship with God doesn't have to be based on our past old time religious experiences. This isn't our parents' religion. Now, please hear me. I have some wonderful beliefs and traditions and things I hold very dear from my Assembly of God days and even back when I was a little boy in the United Methodist Church. Some of those things I still love today that I was taught and that I was shown as who God is and, and all of those kinds of things. So I still embrace much of my faith past, but not all of it. I'm not suggesting that we turn our back on all but rather we begin to look at some of the things we believe through a new set of spiritual eyes. If you're here today and you still find yourself looking over your shoulder wondering who's watching, or going forward for communion and praying those blanket prayers, I want to encourage all of us to look at our faith through a healthier set of spiritual eyes. In the Gospel lesson, we heard about Nicodemus, who has a dialogue with Jesus. In the story, Jesus tells Nicodemus about what it means to be born again or reborn. And he explains that to be reborn isn't being born a second time in a physical sense, but to be reborn is to have our spirits created fresh and new by God's love in a spiritual sense. God's love is for all people, plain and simple. If we look at John 3.16, it simply states, yet also I believe profoundly, for God so loved the world, that's all people, it doesn't say God so loved the world except, that God gave the one and only Son so that everyone, not everyone except, who believes in Christ may not perish, but have eternal life. Did you notice that John 3.16 doesn't say that God loves us as long as we are able to abide by this or that set of rules? Or as long as we adhere to a specific...
faith practice or tradition. It simply says that God loves all people, and all people are part of God's realm. I think we sometimes make our spiritual life too difficult, too complicated, too rule-based, and not enough grace. We are so programmed from an early age that when we are good, or when we measure up to a certain standard of what's expected, we are then rewarded. If we don't behave as expected, or we don't measure up, we are punished. We get our hands slapped, or worse. If we don't behave as expected, or we don't measure up, we're punished some way. Unfortunately, many of us were told in our early stages of development that we weren't good enough for whatever reason. It could be a number of things. We were told that God, Jesus, Santa, the Tooth Fairy, the Easter Bunny, all of them were watching us and that we had better be good. <laughs> Funny how parents get into all that, isn't it? But the main point surrounding the story of Nicodemus and being reborn isn't about being good or acting in a particular way. It is emphasizing the fact that God's love is indeed for all people. Plain and simple. Amen. You are not a flawed person undeserving of God's love and grace. Because you are born, God's love is given to you. Recently, I taught a workshop on homosexuality in the Bible here at church. It's one of my very favorite things to teach on. And during that class, we dissected the notorious clobber passages used against people who identify as gay or lesbian. All six of them. Not many. <laughs> we used proper biblical interpretation tools and explained what those six passages actually mean in their proper context. So often when I lead a discussion such as that, I see people struggling to accept the truth of what those passages truly mean in their proper context. And yet they don't have any trouble believing that it's okay to eat shrimp or wear clothing of two different kinds of fiber, which is also forbidden in the same context of those clobber passages. Funny, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Why the struggle? Why the difficulty in wrapping our minds around those kinds of things, I wonder, and yet embracing other things that are included in the same passage? I have a, a theory for that. I'm sure you guessed I probably did. I believe it's because we have a difficult time believing we're not bad people. We were often told by our old-time religion that we are depraved and sinful people born into this world that way, and that there's really no hope for us, and that then the other comes groveling to a and begging for forgiveness, and just hoping that it sticks. And yet then we spend the rest of our life praying those blanket prayers and asking to be forgiven because we're afraid we might have missed something. Those types of things have created an unhealthy view of who we are, I believe, as God's precious creation, as God's children, as God's people. Some of us don't even believe we are accepted in God's eyes. But friends, the story of Nicodemus is clear. God's love is for all people. Amen. It's okay.
to embrace who you are as one of God's children. That old time religion and the antiquated ways of understanding God ain't good enough for me. And I hope it isn't good enough for you. Something else to consider in the context of that old time religion is found in another passage of scripture taken from our first lesson in Romans chapter 4. In it, the Apostle Paul is talking about our spirituality and our relationship with God being based on faith rather than a bunch of do's and don'ts. And he says, for the promise that Abraham would inherit the world did not come to him or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs of God, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all Abraham's descendants. Religion has often been very limiting and restricting to people. We are told what to do, what not to do. There is no freedom to be who we are because we're too busy making sure, doing what we're told, that we're doing what we're told and what we're supposed to do and that we're not doing what we're told we shouldn't be doing. God has given us a new provision for the life found in Christ. We are no longer bound to a list of rules and regulations. We are set free to live the lives we are called to live thanks to God and Christ. Granted, destructive behaviors should be avoided because they are just that, destructive. If we are injuring ourselves or others, we should reconsider those behaviors that are causing harm. But God has created us to enjoy life and live life to the fullest. You hear me say it time and time again that I believe God has created us from a happy place, from a good place, from a healthy place, so that we can live happy, joyful lives right now. Not just so that when we die that we can spend eternity in some place called heaven. No, I believe Jesus came, and the scripture even says, Jesus came so that we might have life and might have it to the full. I believe that means here and now, not just in the after life. Amen. We live by grace, not by law. And the last consideration from the story of Nicodemus is this. The whole purpose for God sending Jesus is to bring us life, not condemnation. Verse 17 of John chapter 3 says, I think this one's overlooked a lot. For some reason, we all know John 3.16 and we see that on placards and, you know, all kinds of things when people are making some kind of a demonstration. There's always John 3.16. But listen to John 3.17. Clearly follows John 3.16. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make sure. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. That old time religion, if your religion or your way of thinking or believing because of that old time religion condemns you, may I suggest that you may want to consider a different religion. This isn't that old time religion because the story of Nicodemus is clear. God's love is for all people. You are God's precious creation. Embrace the person God created you to be. Whether straight, gay, 
lesbian, bisexual, transgender, questioning, asexual, whatever, however you find yourself in whatever category of none of those that I've maybe mentioned. This isn't that old-time religion because our faith and trust in God should be based on God's grace and not a list of do's and don'ts. God has created us to enjoy our life. I hope we are, but if not, what are we waiting for? Yes. You may wonder, well, this is kind of like old news. We all, we all already should know this. Oh, we haven't sat in my office recently. <laughs> yes, we all should know it by now, especially those of us who have been in MCC for years and years. But sometimes it takes a lot of repetition before it finally sinks in. What better time to be reminded than during the month of June? celebrated as pride. This isn't that old-time religion because Jesus came to bring life, not condemnation. I pray we will leave this place renewed in our faith and embracing who we are as we live a life of joy and peace, knowing that we are not condemned by God, but dearly